Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. We've been talking about how to deal with conflict as we've been reading through the book of James. And one of the things James talks a lot about, a matter of fact, it's everywhere in the New Testament, is the whole concept of humility. So James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, and mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Worldly conflict is all about pride. Godly conflict requires the pursuit of humility. No one can ever say, I'm humble, right? A humble person wouldn't tell us how humble they are. We can never say, I'm humble. When it comes to humility, the Bible's clear. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So why is it so important to pursue humility? Why is that so important, especially in our relationships to one another? Humility helps us to do a few things. I'm going to name them. Here we go. It helps us in the middle of a conflict. It allows us to see not just other sin, but to see our own sin. Because when our emotions and our passions get inflamed, we're so aware of the other wrong that we tend to overlook that we might be wrong too. Number two, humility allows us to get quieter, not louder. You can tell when it's going to go from a conflict to a, flight, a fight to a riot because the volume increases. I mean, literally, even just two people, you can tell when they're going to have a serious fight because the volume goes up. Humility turns the volume down. Humility says, if you're going to get louder, I'm going to get quieter. And I'm going to invite you to get quieter so we can have a conversation that's a little bit more private and doesn't invite the whole neighborhood to get involved. Humility, number three, allows us to listen more and speak less. What can I learn? What do I need to hear? What's true in all this? 
what's helpful in this conflict. It allows us to listen more and speak less. It's interesting because previously in James chapter 3, you remember? Been in church and listening online. He talked a lot about the tongue. And he said that we're kind of like horses, right? And that God needs to get a bit in our mouth to keep us under control, particularly our speech and our tongue, the language we use to communicate. And what humility allows us to do is to see that that's a good thing, not I need to spit this bit out of my mouth, I need to run off at the mouth or on the keyboard, and I need to be free to speak passionately, passionately about how I feel. No. Humility says, I need to be under control. I need to be under authority. I need to be broken in. Humility, number four, allows us to submit to godly authority. Humility allows us to submit, submit to godly authority because in certain moments, we want to be our own authority. So we ignore other authority. And what happens is when the goal becomes winning, then you have to reject all authority. If the whole goal is winning, just think of sports. You may feel in a moment that's a good thing, but long term, it's a very bad thing. Humility allows us, particularly when our emotions are raging, to be under authority, to be under the authority of godly people. Pastor James says, submit to God. All right, here's what that means. Conflict is never about winning. Submit to God. That's, that's the language of worship. What honors the Lord? What glorifies God? What pleases the Lord? When he says, submit yourself to God, that's what he's saying. Worldly conflicts about winning, but godly conflicts about worshiping. How can I bring honor and glory to God? Number five. It says, to what the devil? It says, resist. Now, one thing you know in New Testament Greek, it uses a lot of military language, and this is the language of combat. So when there's a conflict, there's a fight, but here's the thing to remember. You're not fighting the person. You might be fighting the devil. This is where Paul says in Ephesians, our war is not against flesh and blood, it's not against people, but against powers and principalities and spirits. When he says, resist the devil, this is language like a military engagement where he's telling the soldiers, don't retreat, hold your ground, stand firm because Satan's going to launch an assault. Resisting the devil says, no. By the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, following the example of Jesus, I want to respond in a godly way, not a worldly way. And something Satan is going to do, 
well, we call them tactics, right? He's going to make you defensive. He's going to make you stubborn. And he's going to make you, his favorite, self-righteous. I didn't do anything wrong. Let me tell you what they did. And or, again, Satan will want us to come out from godly authority and to be our only authority. Here's a good question. Can the devil use a Christian? Yes. You can belong to Jesus and on occasion, even as a Christian, even as a mature Christian, you can have an ungodly moment where Satan uses you. How many times have you ever said about someone you love, what's gotten into them? What's gotten into him? What's gotten into her? You've thought that. Do you remember Peter? Yeah, it's in Matthew 16, 23. Jesus and Peter are going for a walk and they're having a conversation and Jesus says, I'm going to have to die. That's part of his plan to save the world. And Peter objects. What? Peter tells the Son of God himself, you're wrong. No, you can't do that. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Are Peter and Satan the same guy? No. Did Peter belong to Jesus or Satan? Jesus. But in that moment, who was he speaking for? Satan. The context is that Peter was saying something that Satan wanted him to say, and Jesus got right to the heart of the matter and rebuked Satan for interfering with the plans of God. Resist the devil. And if you will resist the devil, there's a promise, he will flee. But you got to hang in there for a while, okay? He will flee from you. It's like a fight. It's like if you don't run and you don't quit, eventually the other guy will. And here it promises that Satan will flee. And I want to just think about it. When we think of God, we say God is long-suffering and patient. He is so patient. And we think of Satan as the opposite of God. Pa Satan is not patient. <laughs> and that should be a good hint. You hang in there. Let him leave. Because he won't stick around. Because he is impatient. God is patient and he will deliver. Sixth thing, draw near to God or come near to God. In ancient military campaigns, it's exhausting hand-to-hand -hand combat. I mean, you've probably seen some movies that depict that. How did those guys wield those heavy swords and those heavy shields and weapons in hand-to-hand -hand combat? 
It's absolutely exhausting. You can hardly stand. You've been wounded and you're disoriented and you're like, where are we on this battlefield? Where's my guys? And on the battlefield, you're like, I don't even know which way to go anymore. I'm so exhausted. And you completely lose sight of where you're at and where you're going. So, James says, in the context of a conflict, come near to God. In the middle of everything, find the Lord, right? Get to the Lord. Stick with the Lord. Stay close to the Lord. We would sing in Sunday school, remember that song, His Banner Over Me Is Love? What? That's like a military campaign. Some guy, he didn't get a weapon. He got a flag, a banner. And the guy with the flag, his job was to hold it up high. So you could say, there's my flag, there's my guys, I need to get over to my team. And I know where my team is because I know where our my flag is. And James is saying in the middle of the conflict, look up, find the Lord and get to him. In worldly conflict, we don't even invite God to the conflict. The only way out of the conflict is to get to the Lord. And I don't know what that looks like for you. How do you get to the Lord? Maybe it's prayer. Stop right then and there and you've got to pray to God. Maybe it's Bible study, you open up his word. Maybe it's maintaining relationship with a godly person and you get on the phone and you've got to talk to someone to get some good counsel. Maybe spending time in quiet. Maybe it's singing to the Lord. Draw near to God in the midst of a conflict. The next one he says, that's why I absolutely love the Bible. You read it, and then you stop and you pause on all these neat little phrases. He says, number seven, get cleaned up. He uses actually some strong language. Wash your hands, you sinner. Ouch. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Burn. Right? James was using strong language. He says, you sinners. And what this means is that even, and, I, and the, we've got all kinds of letters in the New Testament. Paul always starts his letters with addressing them to the saints. And we even confess. They're almost every Sunday, communion of the saints. That's who we are in Christ. But he's reminding us here in the midst of a conflict you sinners. So even those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, even the sanctified children of God, even the godly have moments when they act like sinners. Saint may be our identity in Christ, but sometimes sin is our activity. Hmm. Everyone is capable of sin at any moment. And what he says is, you got to cleanse yourself. You got to get cleaned up. And you heard about that last Sunday about confessing your sins. Start by washing your own hands, looking at your own life, saying, 
hey, did I do anything wrong? Did I say something wrong? Is there anything I need to fix, apologize for, get right in the future, do different? Only through humility is it possible to even pursue that because in the middle of a conflict, our hands are filled with what? Mud. Mudslinging. It's in the Bible. Mudslinging. Time to put the mud down. Time to wash your own hands. And what this means is if we're, if we're wrong, we own it. If we think we're wrong, we own it. If we are using a godly mediator and he or she says, we're wrong, we own it. Put the mud down in a conflict. Number eight, be patient. Here's what he says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. You ever been around when there's an unexpected gunshot? Anybody ever been around and you heard gunfire? What did you do? Immediately, you got down. You ducked, because that's one of the first things they teach you in combat. When you hear gun, you get down, you make yourself as small as you possibly can. Humble yourselves. When the bullets start to fly or the spears. Humble yourselves, get down and stay down. And he, God himself, will lift you up when it's time. Meaning the Lord loves you and he says, you know what, just stay down right now. The bullets are flying and when it's safe, I'll come and I'll pick you up and I'll help you out and I'll move you forward. But you've got to be patient. Hmm. And in the midst of conflict, we want to get out of it as soon as we can as the winner. So when conflict comes, now is time to practice your patience. And the, finally, the last one. James ends with a great question. He starts with a great question. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That's a good question. And then he ends with another really good question. Who are you to judge? Now we say this all the time, right? Who are you to judge? And often what we mean is, I'm judging you. Who are you to judge me? <laughs> Think about it. He's saying this to how many people? He's saying it to everyone. Do not slander, speak evil against one another. Ask yourself, is what I'm saying, is it negative? Is it critical? Is it hurtful? Well, then it's evil. Do not slander. Whom? One another. Fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, family. Do not slander. Families are going to have conflict, but no one should die. No one should be kicked out of the family, quit the family, or set the house on fire. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. 
there is only, how many lawgivers are there? One. Oh, that job's been taken. I applied for it. I was hoping to get it, but God already got the job. How many judges are there? Is judge still open? No, judge is filled too. God is the judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. So here's the question. His first question was, what causes fights and quarrels among you? His last question is, who are you to judge your neighbor? Do you know all the facts in whatever conflict you find yourself in? I know someone who does, and that's only God. Do you really know everything? Likely not. Have you heard the other side of the story? Proverbs, I think it's verse, chapter 18, always says, everybody seems right until you hear the other guy. So the big question is, why do we think that we have the right to be the judge? Because here's what happens in worldly conflict. Someone sins, and somebody decides, I'll be the judge, I'll convene the jur jury, I will render a verdict. Sometimes we convene a jury physically, and we talk to other people about our conflict. Sometimes we convene a jury digitally, and we try to get everybody else on our side, whatever the case may be. And what happens when you go to court, where does the judge sit? He sits up high. There's a reason for that. And when we want to be the judge, that's going to take some pride for us to climb up those stairs and sit in the judge's seat. I'll be the judge. I'll sit in the high seat. I'll convene a jury. I'll render a verdict. I'll execute punishment so that there can be justice. That's worldly conflict not to be part of us in the church. And here's the good news. Finally, get to the good news. James talks about judging. He takes us right back to Jesus Christ. Someone once said, if you want to grow in humility, don't focus on humility, focus on Jesus. And we did that, by the way, in our worship, if you listen to the words of the songs. It's all about Jesus. So when you are in conflict, in the theater of your mind, paint this picture. You're in a courtroom, arguing your case. Jesus walks in the courtroom and says, what's going on? Oh, we're, hold we're holding court. Jesus says, well, how come I didn't get invited? Who's that on the bench? Well, they're on the bench. I didn't appoint them, Jesus said. In fact, that's my seat. Why are they sitting in my seat? Well, we've rendered a verdict. Jesus said, that's my job. I give the law and I judge. There's only one judge. Do you see how worldly conflict can get the fundamentals so absolutely wrong? And you poor people are living in this messed up world. Here's how godly conflict goes. And this is why how we deal with one another is such a witness to the world in which we live. Jesus walks in. He goes up to the bench. He says, you're dismissed. 
your now former judge. He sits down and he looks at both parties and he says, you're guilty? And the other side cheers, yay. And then he says, you're guilty. And they go, what? And he says, you're all guilty. And the punishment for your guilt and your sin is death. And then he says, I'm going to die for both of you. So put down your spears. It's not about winning. It's about worshiping. And I'm going to reconcile with them. And I'm going to reconcile with them. And you're going to reconcile with each other. That's the verdict of the judge. That's godly conflict. You say, someone says, where's the justice in that? And Jesus says, at the cross. Someone yells out, who's going to pay? And Jesus said, I already have paid. Isaiah 53. Jesus paid for my sin and he paid for your sins. And he paid for their sin. When we deal with others, we deal with them the way God has dealt with us with much grace and forgiveness. So now you know why we focus on Jesus as a family, why we put the cross at the front of the church as big as we can. It's the power of his love that enables us to love and forgive others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word through James. Your timeless word's always timely for our world. Thank you for the scriptures. They're not just for some, they're for everyone. We live in a world that does not know you or to the extent you went to love us and save us. They do not know, but we do. Help us to show the world the power of your love. Teach us to be humble in all all our relationships. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, in a world that seems increasingly more filled with conflict, help us to respond in a godly way, starting with each other. Help us to be the peacemakers you call us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.